Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week it is another Win Wednesday. The preseason is effectively over because the third one's done and the last one really doesn't matter. And with me this week, here to emulate Andrew Luck and retire from your ear holes for the rest of this season, it's David Newman. Please don't boo me. Uh, okay, just, first just of all, don't do that. Yeah, don't boo Andrew Luck either. The dude yeah. put his body on the line uh, and he's making a decision that's right for him. It sucks. It does. As a football Uh, watching fan, it sucks. What sucks even more is I drafted him in the third round of our Dynasty League. Yeah, you did. Yep, I did. Uh, I picked up Jacoby Brissett for $0. So, you know, I got that going for me. (laughs) Best of luck. (laughs) Those are definitely the same thing. It'll be fine. It's almost almost identical. It's fine. Everything's fine. Despite the flames. Just ignore them. Yeah. Uh, But it is... uh, We're going to do a season preview this week for a couple of reasons. One... The third preseason game is done, and so we've got to we, we've seen now the starters play significant uh, significantly here in the preseason, and so we're gonna just basically give you our thoughts on the game as well as give you the overall season preview now that we've seen the most important bits of the preseason, but also because Mr. Newman has to go back to spending all of his time on college football, pro football, and his season really picks up, and as a result, he is going to depart the podcast for the regular season as he did last year. Next week, I'll be on with one Mr. Kyle Posey, editor from Niners Nation. And so as the last hurrah for this season, at least officially, uh, we're going to crack the Sierra Nevada Hazy, uh, Hazy Little Thing IPA. And, yeah, we uh, are. And have, uh, and have a good time. Yeah, I got to talk a little big picture, right? Look at the season, get some uh, dumb predictions that we'll certainly regret out there uh, into the world. And Dude, have a all, good time. Of, all of our great. predictions are dumb. They're great. But you know what? That's what, that's what makes them fun. Uh, but first, let's get to some news. News that, may, that might make you sad. David. So just prepare yourself. Yeah. Because we got to pour some out. We got to pour a little out for a fallen 49er, one Mr. Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith, a toast to you, my friend. While you never saw your full 26 and a half mil, you still afforded bedrock stability cheering on from the bench. Thank you for filling out a weak ass roster in 2017. Well, mostly 2018 because he didn't play in 2017. Uh, And it's time to move on. on. I I wish you the best of luck. I hope you make all the money that you deserve. Uh, cheers to you, my friend. Here, here. All right, and with that, let's take a trip back to 2017, because I actually looked back at our show notes for the free, the free agency preview. It's my favorite thing. And these, the, literally, the the rundown for Malcolm Smith signing in the free agency review was three bullet points. No, four. <laughs> bullet point number A. Don't you forget that first one. Uh, and it's I actually hate myself for saying bullet point number A, but bullet point one. <laughs> This is dumb, but whatever. B, positives. He knows the scheme, and he's a pretty good athlete. C, negatives. Mostly everything else. D, ideal as a backup, but might end up starting at will. Internet shrug. That was, um, that was the extent of our rundown from Malcolm Smith. And honestly, I can't say that things ended differently for him. This is dumb, but whatever really summarizes my feelings at the end of the Malcolm Smith era as well. I think yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty fitting to go back and, um, and look at those. But yeah, man, uh, it was a bad signing. I think it was pretty clear to see that at the time. Because here's some the, of them just are. Yeah, here's the thing. It was a bad signing, not just because they gave a linebacker $25 million, but because he wasn't a good linebacker. Like coming into that 2017 season, he had played some pretty abysmal football. Uh, and I mean, it was just not too far away from here in Oakland that he was playing pretty bad football. He had one really, really good year in spot play and one really good game in the Super Bowl. And he was riding. He's been riding that for a while. And, and unfortunately, that's just, you know, that's just what happened. It was easy to see that it was going to be a bad signing. They overpaid for him. And, and here we are. 
the 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 funny thing was that I think David Lombardi tweeted out that he is playing sand linebacker, and so you know that that linebacker is only going to be on the field for about thirty percent of snaps, and it didn't make sense to have someone like that on the roster. He was originally signed to play Will, and the three linebacker spots now in in the 49ers defense is they're a bit more interchangeable because of the wide nine. And so if he were really a linebacker that they wanted to keep on the team, they would have kept him on the team. This has not, this has less to do with Sam and has more to do with the fact that he's just not as good of a linebacker as he needs to be for even the contract or to fight out the competition that he's got from the younger players. Facts. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's uh, the, the takeaway with Malcolm Smith is you don't give players a significant amount of money because you think they're going to be players who like help you transition and they know the scheme and they're going to teach younger guys, right? If you want to do that, like either one, sure, fill out some of your bottom depth chart spots with those kind of guys, right? That's what like you pay Logan Paulson um, a, a, a minimum salary and he gets to come in and, and do that type of stuff. Or you know what? When he sucks, like make him a coach. If you want to come, if you want yeah. somebody to come in there and teach younger guys, get a coach. This is uh, the beauty of Wes Welker. Uh, and Miles Austin is exactly why they're there. But so he his contract was for twenty six and a half mil, but he actually cash earnings only made about twelve million. And in his forty nine ers career, he's had twenty six tackles. That's about four hundred and sixty one thousand dollars a tackle. The question to you, David Newman, would you take one full on head of steam tackle delivered by Malcolm Smith in exchange for four hundred and sixty one thousand dollars? Shit, yeah. <laughs> Not even a question. He Bring gets, it on. He gets to unload on you. Just I get to wear pads and stuff, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Absolutely. You get to wear pads, and so does he. And yeah. and I'm gonna create just a hype mix of all of the times that you've ragged on him. Put him in his headphones <laughs> and just amp him up before. I mean, he's gonna be juiced for this hit. Um, and you don't yeah. get to move. You just you can just brace yourself, and he gets to have a running start for as long as he wants. Go limp, you know, strategy, go limp, be real loose. You can't tighten up, you know, that's how injuries happen. You just got to be real loose um, and just let it happen. You know, it'll be fine. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it'll be terrible for like that moment. Uh, I'm sure it'll be hell, but, <laughs> but you know what? $461,000 isn't nothing. Um, right. You know, here's, here's what I would say to you, David Newman. It's dumb, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get to the game. Uh, yeah, let's get to the game because let's get to the things that we think. This is going to be a little bit looser episode because, quite frankly, uh, this is going to be the last time I get to be locked in a room with one of my best friends uh, talking football while he goes away. So uh, we're just going to drink a beer and have some fun. Uh, so things, oh, yeah. we, things we think. This is the game that everybody wanted from Jimmy Garoppolo because Jimmy Garoppolo played a good game. It wasn't like a stellar, amazing, elite game. Sure. Um, but this was the game that you think to yourself, okay, like, I want Jimmy Garoppolo to inspire some confidence, and boy, did he. Because he had, he had, I think, by all accounts, a very, very good game. He had some great passes, still made some questionable decisions. But overall, um, it's exactly what you wanted. Right. I think this was the uh, more the expected amount of rust that, that people were hoping for in that first game, right? Like, uh, yeah, you, you go back and you look at every one of his dropbacks, and it's not um, the cleanest game that he's ever played, right? There's definitely still some rust there. Like, you know, ball location is a little shaky at, on, on a few different throws, but that stuff is, is the stuff that you're comfortable with. Like, okay. It's still like overall very much a net positive, um, game and, and performance from him. And there's, you know, just some little things we need to clean up, you know, that, yeah, I think like, 
he, there, there are definitely some ways he looked off, right? Just still getting back into a groove and trying to find his rhythm and, and build that confidence back up and, and trust what he's seen and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I think, yeah, there, there's some stuff there that we'll continue to watch and, and hopefully he'll continue to progress kind of as, as he gets more and more reps out there. But yeah, overall, much, much more positive, I think much more indicative of kind of what we expected from him coming back off the injury. Well, I think the first play that he... It may have been the first pass that he completed to Kendrick Bourne, where Bourne actually makes a reception, but the ball's a little behind Bourne. One of those instances where it still looks a little rusty. It still looks like, well, you know what? It's not on the mark, but it still got the Niners where they needed to be. Uh, I think overall, he still had a pretty solid stat line. 70% completion percentage, 9.4 yards per attempt, and of course, that one TD to Matt Breida. Uh, I think a couple of things are pretty evident. One, he still very much trusts his arm. He is, I mean, you, you look at the, the bad plays from Denver and what's he trying to do is hit Breed on the rail route. I mean, he's trusting that his arm's going to get there. Uh, and unfortunately it didn't, but he had a couple plays like that too in the game against Kansas city, where he throws in a triple coverage uh, to Dante Pettis. It's a throw he definitely shouldn't have made. Um, and, and then there was another throw a little bit later in the red zone where he throws underneath to his tight end. And I mean, he, he puts the ball exactly where it needs to go. Yep. It is low and away. But there is not a whole hell of a lot of space for that ball to get to the right place, and it does. And, and it's pretty clear that this is someone who has confidence in his arm, and he's going to play the game that way for better and worse. Right. I think what you, you don't want to see is him being hesitant and, and not really trusting what he's seen and, and um, yeah, just kind of being timid and letting things go. I remember um, when we were talking to Zach Robinson last year and, and having that conversation with him about quarterback play and kind of what he teaches guys and, and kind of what he was taught as well when he was playing. And um, one of the things that he mentioned was, uh, you know, he had a coach that essentially told him sometimes it's better to be confident than to be right. You know, if, if you're not, if you're always kind of second guessing your decisions and, and you're not trusting what you're seeing, that's going to lead to a lot more problems in the long run, right? Whereas with Garoppolo, I think overall in the preseason, just kind of with him in, in the games we've seen in general, um, is a guy that processes things well and, and gets to the right place with the football on the majority of snaps, right? And so you don't want him to lose that confidence that he's he's seen things well and that he's confident going, you know, where he's going with the football. And so even if that comes with some mistakes here and there, like the Pettis um, throw, I think, is a, a perfect example of that, where it, yeah, had absolutely no business making that throw. It was just, you know, overall a bad decision, but you're going to live with some of those, you know, because it's going to lead, that process is going to lead to a lot more good plays than bad over the long run. And again, on the whole, Garoppolo is someone who does take care of the ball fairly well. He's not someone who's going to be like a Jameis Winston where he's got yep. super high highs, but also incredibly turnover worthy plays on the reg. That's not really Jimmy Garoppolo's game. Uh, but he had a couple of really, really good throws in the game against Kansas City. Of course, there's the diamond Richie James. I mean, that was, I think, his best throw of the game. It was in rhythm, on target. Richie James did not have to stop. It hit him right between the numbers. It was perfect. And if Richie James doesn't slip, that's a touchdown. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was so close. I mean, that was definitely the best throw we've seen him make um, this entire preseason. And really, I mean, even if you want to go back to those kind of first three games of last season, I mean, it's up there, right? As far as just... yeah ball location, getting it downfield, you know, um, dropping it in over the top of a defender, like really good throw and, and one of the better ones that we've seen from him. So yeah, th- that's the one where it's just like, okay, yeah, it, it's still there, right? It's just a matter of 
get, again, getting more comfortable, getting um, just used to the speed of how things are moving when he's out there in live game action, and, and um, the rest of it's going to come one time. But of course, he had the throw on the out route to Marquise Goodwin. This was still when he was still a little rocky in, in the beginning of the game. He also had a really good throw to Debo on uh, X Reed in the middle of the field where he's basically the only route and Debo has a chance to break off the route or keep going, breaks it off, and Jimmy Garoppolo hits him right in the middle of the field. And that's the thing that separates him from someone like uh, Mullins, where he's got that middle-of-the-field accuracy. That's where he succeeds, and he was getting back into the groove in this game as well. And, and those are the, I mean, the things that you, that you wanted to see. Right. The intermediate stuff is so big for him and, and it's so big for this offense in general. I mean, that's the area, the middle of the field. So the, the 10 to 19 yard range between the numbers, that's where this offense does most of its work, right? That's where they are getting the majority of their kind of like chunk plays. And yeah, obviously you want to be able to, um, you know, test downfield a little bit more and, and kind of hit some of those deep balls periodically. Um, and that's going to help keep the safeties back, you know, having to worry about somebody like Goodwin going deep and getting behind you helps to open up that underneath stuff or the intermediate stuff, you know, along with what they're doing in the play action game and all that. Um, and so it all kind of works together and that's the area of the field that he was so sharp in, and when you look at those first five games when he came over, right? And so, yeah, seeing some of the throws that he's get, getting to make at that level and, and finding that rhythm and, and getting the accuracy there is going to be big. Yeah, it was really exciting to, to watch him play. I was actually watching the game at my in-laws, and it was just like I was jumping up and down. I had the game going on the computer. I had, like, the other the, the, the other game on the big screen as well, so I could record some clips and post them, and it was just like I was jumping up and down. I was like, oh, crap, got to record it, got to post it. It was, <laughs> it was fun to watch, yeah. and, and I think that... That's the kind of play that I would expect from Jimmy Garoppolo fairly regularly. And if that's the case, I think that's, that's pretty exciting. The, the next thing I think for the game against Kansas City is that if the preseason is going to show us some vanilla looks, then we certainly can't wait for the exotic flavors. Because especially on defense, the 49ers are showing some wrinkles that are indicating that Robert Sala is not going to be the rigid cover three coach that we've known him to be thus far. Right. I think that's kind of been... Um, you know, the big thing that I'm going to be keen on early in the season is are these kind of little tweaks that we've seen in spurts from them throughout the preseason going to be things that actually stick and actually are part of kind of what their base coverage package is. I mean, yeah, like he mentioned, you know, he had a, a press conference after the game here, I think either today or the day before or something like that. But um, it was talking about how, yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff that's a bit more nuanced. They're saving for the regular season, and, and they like to get, um, you know, usually more exotic and a little bit more complex with stuff on in their third down package and all that. And we'll see a lot more of that, of course, um, come the regular season. But those first and se- those early down calls, right? First and second down calls that are kind of your base package. Um, are we going to see the change that we've kind of seen them hint at in the preseason, which has been? One, more man coverage, which was a, kind of a big thing that we were hoping for and, and kind of expecting a little bit with the the addition of Joe Woods as kind of the passing game coordinator on defense. Um, and then one of the things I think we were hoping for but not terribly optimistic about was more too high safety coverages. So mixing in more quarters or cover six, you know, uh, which is quarters on one side, cover two on the other side. Um, some of those different too high looks that – are more pass-oriented coverages. You know, you're not worried about getting the extra guy down in the box to help with the run game. Um, those were things that, you know, would have been nice, but we, we weren't necessarily confident he was going to be willing to break away from that. And we've seen 
bits and pieces of that. I mean, this was, we, we talked about in the second game how they had, uh, you know, an empty check that got them into quarters, and that was kind of what they had for, for that game. Um, and then in this one, they were really basing out of quarters a lot. So as far as pass plays went, um, about a quarter of their snaps, 25%. Um, was in quarters. I, I see what uh, you did there. I was, I was waiting for it. Um, but they also had, I mean, they were also showing those same quarters looks on, on a lot of the run plays early downs too. So it was, you know, a, a wider percentage of their calls and even that just overall in the game um, was, was in that quarters look. And so I think um, that's going to be the thing that's interesting to me is, is do they get more into that type of coverage seam um, once we get into the regular season or is it just kind of something they're, they're playing around with and trying in the preseason? Yeah, I think the thing that I keep going back to in terms of the, the preseason being vanilla is, you know, you don't want to spend too much time evaluating schemes in the preseason. But yep. I think it is true that the I mean, what the teams are going into these preseason games with is their base install. And if these plays are going to serve as the base install for the 49ers defense, and I think overall that bodes well, because we are seeing an uptick in man coverage. We are seeing an uptick in quarters. And I think that that's going to bode well for the 49ers because their personnel just is, I think, better suited for a quarters-type defense. You look at their safeties, Tarveris Moore, of course, played in a court, in a primarily a quarters-based system in college because he played football in college. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone yeah. runs some kind of match quarters in college. But but that's what he did, and, and he did it very, very well. And Jaquaski tart I think, is also probably a little better suited for uh, that quarters look. He doesn't have really the, the true range of like a, a single high free safety, but he's not just resigned to a thumper in the box. Yeah. He has that versatility exactly. where you know he could probably be a, a cover two safety or, well, a quarter safety, right? And, and I think that gives you a lot of versatility. And, and I also think that it's not too far away for the corners from that cover three, I have to stay on top of verticals type of defense. Um, and, and so I think that they are, from a personnel perspective, well suited to do it. And quarters is better for defending against the pass. And what do the Niners have to do? They have yeah. to defend against the pass, especially if they if they think they're going to be leading in games over the course of the year. Right, and and it's not that um, it's not even to say right that quarters isn't without its weaknesses. It, it certainly is um, more so in the NFL. This is why you see fewer NFL teams like really base out of quarters and and have that as their primary coverage because there are certain things. Um, you know, that it kind of leaves you open to some of the, like, the deep post shots are, are kind of easier to get. And in college, you worry about that less because honestly, the wide majority of quarterbacks fucking suck. And so they can't make those throws consistently. So you're a little bit more willing to kind of concede some of that stuff because you, you think it's a low percentage throw, right? Whereas in the NFL, you got a guy like Russell Wilson, who's uh, in your division and an excellent deep ball thrower. Um, that's a much higher percentage throw for him, right? So um, it's certainly not something that you want to be in every down. But the big thing for them, I, I think, overall is just getting some more variety in their coverages, right? You don't want to, you, you just can't, I think, in, in today's NFL, like sit back in that cover three and be there 75% of your snaps. Like it's just not going to work. Teams have gotten so good. At, at being able to to defeat that coverage and, and kind of exploit those middle of the field defenders, um, you're just going to be in for a rough day. And that's kind of what we saw from them last year. So finding more variety in their coverages is going to be big and, and getting some of the too high stuff in there, I think, is a nice wrinkle. You want variety? Robert Sala gave you variety on the touchdown pass <laughs> to Damian Williams. Because... Yeah, he did. Yeah, that, that was... It was an interesting idea. And if you don't remember the play, let me remind you, because it sucked. 
the Niners lined up uh, in what looked like one of their standard nickel sets, but you ended up having Demontre Moore and Solomon Thomas out on the edges, uh, and you had a couple of defenders uh, there in the middle of the field at the snap. The Niners end up just rushing three. They drop Demontre Moore and Solomon Thomas into coverage. They've got two linebackers in the short middle zone. It was a third and short that seemed like they were trying to prevent against some kind of slant concept. And the Chiefs ran a double slant from a stacked set of wide receivers off to the offense's left. Which so I mean Salah's like, okay, cool. That's what they like to run. This is this this is gonna work, except for one fatal flaw. They leaked their running back on a wheel on the backside of those double slants, and that means that Solomon Thomas not only has to fight through the traffic of the slants coming right at him, but it's also in a trail technique tailing a running back that is much faster than he is. Not great. Uh, yeah, it's not great. And, and you've got Jaquaski Tart over the top. He misses the tackle. All of a sudden, touchdown for the Chiefs. So Salah was asked about this in postgame, and he, it, one, it was good that he, was said, that he said something that I thought was really important, which is, look, it's the preseason. We're trying new things. Awesome. Yeah. Love to hear it. Yeah. Love to hear that you're trying new things. <laughs> Although I would argue that this isn't necessarily a new thing because there have been plenty of times where Solomon Thomas has dropped into coverage. Maybe not sure. perhaps in this specific look, yeah, yeah. but this is not a foreign concept to Robert Sala. But uh, I think the, the question here is you, you want variety. You got variety. <laughs> Well, I think there. So I think there's two other things uh, that I thought was was interesting with Sala's comments. Don't kind of be about dumb, this. variety. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. It was. Uh, I, I, it was nice that he had like a little bit of a sense of humor about it too, and was like, "Oh, you guys don't like Solomon on the running back out there? Like, come on." Um, but I think, yeah, two things. So one, um, if you're going to do it, which he he kind of mentioned, like this is a call that they use a lot. Um, and it's usually though a call that they use in a little bit more short yard situation. So kind of two yards or less, and it seems like a small difference, you know, going, okay, what's the difference between third and two and third and three. But for whatever reason, two yards or less is when teams kind of shift to their short yardage packages, right? Whereas, uh, three yards and, and like up to like six usually, or something like that is kind of more of a mid range down in distance so it it kind of shifts the calls that they use a lot and and it can kind of shift what you're expecting from the offense right so um yeah obviously it's never ideal and and he never wants to have solomon thomas out with a running back who is a significantly better athlete than him and and is going to blow by him every single time right so i think that's part of it and one so what he mentioned was that he was kind of glad it happened because it led to them kind of uh, developing a check for this. If this situation comes up again, they can have a check and kind of get out of it, get into a better look, right? So that's a positive thing. Um, The other thing that I think is also worth pointing out is that this would normally be like D Ford, right? This isn't going to be, Solomon Thomas isn't going to be there if everything's going well, right? And so this is, if you imagine D Ford, like maybe it still ends poorly, right? It still ends with a completion, but D Ford much better athlete overall than Solomon Thomas, at least as far as like straight line speed and hope to keep up with the running back has experience uh, playing stand-up linebacker. More, yeah. More experience in coverage. Like he's dropped a lot, you know, when he was with Kansas city. So that's not like a foreign thing to him. Um, and, and so, yeah, you can see how that like in the regular season would maybe play out a little bit better and not end in a touchdown. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, it, but like you mentioned, the most important thing is that ultimately it's preseason. This is where you want these things to happen so that you can learn from them, um, you know, find ways to correct it. And then once the games actually start counting here in the regular season, you hopefully don't make those same mistakes again. 
Yeah, you know, I think that th- there have been times where I've been unhappy with Robert Sala, and there have been times where I've defended Robert Sala because I think a lot of, especially early on, the rap on him was that his scheme, you know, he didn't adjust to, to, to teams. He wasn't a very good schematic kind of coach, and he's been the, the coach that's been rumored to be on the hot seat if things don't go well for the 49ers this year. I'm actually kind of buoyed by the fact that he seems to be evolving and learning as a defensive coach. Yeah. He is putting new things in. He is adding new wrinkles. He's doing things that, you know, he's still got obviously his core tenets of his philosophy in terms of cover three and that single high safety, but he is not averse to making tweaks year after year to help improve the defense. And while I do think he could probably do a little bit more of them or do them a little sooner, I think that it is good to see him evolve as a coach because it's what the Niners need. And I think that if this preseason, what we've seen schematically from this preseason, if that is kind of more of their base, I think it's going to end up with, you know, more positive results for the 49ers as we go into the regular season. Definitely. I I think it's a good sign that he's like being willing to kind of cede some control as well, right? He is changing things. And again, they may be little things or we may come to see like from a coverage standpoint, maybe they're far more significant than we thought, right? If they start doing um, some of this other stuff more frequently, but um, bringing in new coaches and not just making them do what you think is best, but willing, being willing to like listen to them. This is what worked for them. This is why you brought them in in the first place to help you get better listening to those things and being willing to implement them, I think is a very positive sign. 100% agree. All right, let's get to players who deserve a roster spot. So there are two players we wanted to call out here, one on offense and one on defense. And this player on offense is going to be, of course, the star of the game against Kansas City. That is not Jimmy Garoppolo. He should definitely make the roster. Uh, But it's going to be one Mr. Richie James. He had 15 snaps against the Chiefs. He had Chiefs. Wow. He had 15 snaps against the Chiefs. But who are the chefs? Uh, Four catches for 66 yards. He's performed well this preseason. This wasn't his only game where he had some positive uh, moves in a game. And and that route where he catch, I mean, we talked about the Jimmy Garoppolo end of it. But the the throw that we talked about earlier with Jimmy Garoppolo, Richie James ran a phenomenal route where he just runs that, that stem. He closes the distance on the corner, makes a beautiful jab step to the inside and turns his head halfway in. The corner bites super hard, and then Richie James is gone. It was timed perfectly. It it was ran well. And and overall, I think he's someone who, if you're going to keep six wide receivers, I think one of them should be Richie James, hands down. Yeah, I I think he's definitely done enough to earn a spot at this point, right? I think we've seen a lot of these guys. I mean, in general, a lot of them are really close, and and we're not getting you know a ton of separation from the group as a whole. But I think when you, once you really kind of get down to the the guys who are vying for those last couple spots, there, I really feel like he's kind of separating himself. Right? I think he adds value in a number of areas. Like obviously, um, we've seen him mostly in the slot and doing some of the underneath stuff, which uh, is going to be needed and helpful, especially if Trent Taylor isn't available for any period of time right well, apparently it's it's highly unlikely that he's going to be available for week right. one or week two and the the new training staff's mo seems to be uh to play things relatively conservatively when it comes to coming back from injury so if he this was before the second preseason game so yeah. i mean if you think about doing anything with broken bones you're looking at six weeks ish um that that's like week two week three area yeah. um so i'm I, and the niners have a bye week four i think yeah, it's early. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I think it, it would not surprise me to not see Trent Taylor until after the bye. And if that's the case, right, you need somebody to kind of fill in that role. And I think Richie James, based on the guys they have on the roster, is probably best suited to do those types of things. Um, I mean, obviously, you can pick up 
some of it from other plays. I think Debo would be able to handle some of that stuff as well. But it is a role like that Jimmy has used more heavily than the other quarterbacks in the roster, right? It wasn't something that we saw utilized a ton last year once he went out. But we know during that stretch that he's just very comfortable throwing those kind of routes underneath. And he likes having a guy there that he can trust to get open. And that's why Taylor has been so much more valuable when Garoppolo's been in the lineup compared to basically every other game, right? Um, and so having a guy like Richie James to come in and do some of those things, I think, is is definitely value. Um, he's also shown, I mean, like with the downfield throw here, I think he's a good route runner. Like, I don't think he has to be limited to just the underneath stuff. Um, obviously there's value there in the return game that he brings as well. I think he's probably one of the best, uh, return guys they have on the roster. So I think, yeah, when you look at the full package, I I feel like he definitely is one of the six best receivers on the roster. He has the most targets on the team while being out snapped by 36 snaps. So, yeah. I mean, he has been getting open in the preseason and yeah. quarterbacks have been finding him. Absolutely. So Richie James, definitely someone who deserves a roster spot. Hope he makes it. And if he doesn't, uh, well, good luck in Seattle. Uh, and so Demontre Moore is the player on defense that we think should absolutely make the team. And he should make it at the expense of Contavious Street, who now seems to be suffering from a mysterious injury sure. that may have him going towards injured reserve. Who'd have guessed? Who'd have guessed? It's, so it's let wild me, how those injuries pop up. Man. Let, me, let me get this straight. We've got a player by the number of 95 coming off of an ACL injury, drafted. Uh-oh. Turns out may not be very good, at least in his first year. So you have an injury. You put him on IR. Uh, sounds fine. familiar. It sounds familiar. It's, I mean, this is literally deja vu, down to the number for one Mr. Cornelius Tank Carradine. Yeah, not not a great start. No. Not a great start for for Contavia Street. Um, right. I think he just. I mean, so you look at Street and just has been honestly probably one of the worst defenders on the team this preseason. Um, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. We still have like Gerard Mayo. We still have lots of people. No, we, have, we don't have the good Mayo. That's the good Mayo. We have the bad. We have the basic ass Mayo. All that's right? right. I keep thinking it's Chipotle Mayo. I yeah, forget. Yeah, it's, it's the you basic that mayo. basic ass shit. <laughs> just like David Mayo, generic brand. Yeah, nobody wants that, you know? Um, so I think you look at it, yeah, you look at Street, and he's been uh, mostly terrible um, in, in kind of all aspects, really. And then you look at Moore, who, again, was, like, brought in, uh, was cut once during the offseason um, because of, you know, roster shuffling that they needed to do to get guys at different spots, brought back on the team, um, and has just been a player who has made the most of his opportunity. I think it, it would it would feel weird to not reward that type of player, right? You brought him in, you want him to compete for this kind of backup rotational type role. He's come in, I think clearly been one of the best players uh, on defense throughout the entire preseason, right? It's not even close. And has been consistent doing it, right? It's not like he had one big game and it's kind of been mediocre. Like he's been consistently going out there, winning in the pass rush game, um, being solid in the run game even. Against Kansas City, he had four total pressures, three of which were sacks, and these were not cleanup sacks. Like one of the sacks, and I posted a clip of this on Twitter, one of the sacks where he just leans the tackle outside, pushes the dude out of the way, and beelines straight to the quarterback and is able to make the tackle. This is not quarterback is running around and runs into me and I get a sack type play. Yeah, is if you look at so if you look at win percentage over the course of preseason, which is essentially just how often are they beating the blocker in front of them, right? How often do they actually defeat a block and put themselves in position to get to the quarterback, even if the quarterback is getting the ball out or, or whatever, right? If you, even if it doesn't end in a sack or a hit. 
How often are you beating your guy? He has the highest win percentage of any 49ers pass rusher over the course of the preseason. Um, Clocking in, it's like 23%, which is a very, very good number. You get into the high teens, that's really good. Usually, you know, in, in the regular season, your kind of top-end guys will be the ones that are topping 20% there. Um, so obviously, yeah, he's getting an opportunity to go against, you know, lesser tackles and some of the backup offensive linemen and stuff like that. So you don't expect him to maintain that exact same level of production in the regular season. Um, but he's absolutely done enough. He's earned, we've seen him earn more playing time earlier in the game, which is what we saw against the Chiefs, right? Him getting in there earlier, getting some opportunities against the one. So I think, yeah, he's just done everything that you would hope for, for a guy to come in and be, you know, your seventh, eighth, ninth defensive lineman and be a part of that rotation. Mayoko had a great story about Demontre Moore in NBC uh, or on the NBC website. And he, I didn't know that he actually had committed to signing to the 49ers last year and then got injured and basically said, no, I don't want to sign. I want to feel more comfortable with like getting back from my injuries. I'm going to go play in the AAF. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. And then ends up being the highest graded edge defender in the AAF. And then gives, he had given the 49ers a verbal commitment that he like was going to come back and sign with them. And so even though the Niners already had a stacked defensive line, they traded for D Ford, they traded and they signed or drafted Bosa. He was like, yeah, I told you I was going to come play for you. So I'm going to come play for you. And the Niners honored their end of the bargain more honored his end of the bargain. And he has absolutely played himself onto this roster. Yeah. And, and this is, and this is the kind of player that you want. If you're thinking of like relatively inexpensive rotational players, this is it. They don't always have to come from rookies. They can also come from players that for, for one reason or another are late bloomers or you get some kind right. of efficiency with them. I mean, this is what the Patriots do every single year. They maximize their value in this kind of aging veteran area because everyone else is focusing on cheap-ass rookies. Yeah. And, and he is the aging veteran that the Niners can use to great effect because he's, I think his first year was, what, 2014 uh, for the yeah, Giants? Right. Yeah, right. In that and he was drafted in the yeah. third round. I mean, he, he was already regarded as someone with talent. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, you know, some players like him or maybe Michael Bennett, who also was kind of a little, a little bit of a late bloomer, um, it just took a little while for it to click, and it has. And I think he's he should absolutely make the roster. And I think the team knows it because he's out there playing with the the ones, the preseason ones, sure. uh, and the twos. He's not out there in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, he slowly worked himself. I mean, he started there, right? He started in the fourth quarter and and was a guy that was getting in late and and kind of having to go up against the third stringers and just really go out there and do what we again. Oh, we always talk about the preseason when you're playing against the backups. If you're a guy that's vying for a roster spot or to be able to play with the ones, you need to go out there and dominate the twos and threes, right? And that's what he did early. That earned him an opportunity to go out against the ones. Still went and hold, held his own like, and, and had a good game here against the Chiefs with the time that he got. So, yeah, I, I think absolutely deserves to be one of the guys that makes this team. All right, so that wraps up our review of the Kansas City Chiefs game. Now let's pivot and let's talk about the season preview for 2019. And this segment we're going to call the path to the playoffs. What the 49ers have to get right and what has to happen for the 49ers to be a playoff team in 2019. But before we get to the season preview, we're going to pause for a brief break to hear from our sponsors. All right, 2019 season preview. We've got a beer refresh because you know what? Commercials are good for us too. Hell yeah. We get a moment to go and, and refresh the beer. But let's start off with uh, the fact that 2018 was a bit of a treadmill year, right? We, it, we, we have some of the same questions for 2019 that we do for 2018. And, and of course, chief among them is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo and how confident you are that he is going to have a successful and positive season. 
because I think that there's the, how how good he will be will of course lift the team and be important. But it, I think let's let's think about the the basketball Mullen Stan, my nemesis here, <laughs> right? Is is Garoppolo or can Garoppolo do more in Shanahan's offense than what someone like Mullins can do? And and I think that's going to be the question because Shanahan is going to be someone who can scheme and create opportunities for quarterbacks. It's a quarterback-friendly offense. But can Garoppolo help raise up the offense and not just be a part of the offense? And how confident are you that he's going to be able to do that? It's so funny, like, looking back at our preview questions from last year, and, and I feel like literally every single one of them are still relevant. But this is by far the most important thing. Like, if this is going to be a team that has any hopes of getting to the playoffs, like, it starts with the quarterback, right? You need quality quarterback play um and i think we've seen you know teams like last year right and and even before garoppolo got there with bethard to a certain degree um them be still competent offensively right there they've never been with shanahan they're a bad offensive team they they managed to at least be like a middle of the road competent offensive unit um, and that's because of what he brings to the table from a scheme, right? And setting those guys up for success. And I think you look at just what the, the small glimpse that we've got in the five games and the 2017 season with what Garoppolo did with a team that around him, I think is significantly worse than what it is now, right? I think you look at, um, the offensive line, um, wasn't as in good of shape as it is currently, um, didn't have as many weapons around him in the passing game to be able to go to. Um, I think the defense is obviously in a better spot here as well. And so just everything kind of around that situation currently is better. But even in that environment that he had in 2017, they were during those five games, the second best offense in football, basically. So by uh, judged by EPA per play, which is um, you can you can think of it similarly to like something like DVOA, right, where it's um, kind of judge like packs in certain adjustments, right? It, it, it adjusts for down and distance and, and basically all the situational aspects that you get from DVOA. It's more of a measureness, uh, measure of like explosiveness though, right? So uh, it's not just a matter of like, was that play positive or negative? It's how, how positive was it? How negative was it? So it, it really credits, um, you know, the big plays and, and captures those properly. And so you look at what they were doing offensively from expected points added perspective, the second best during that five games. And if you would have taken that number that they had during that stretch and just said, okay, where would that have ranked in 2018 if they had been able to sustain it for a full season? Well, they would have been the fourth best offense last year. So that's just below teams like the Chiefs, the Saints, the Rams, I believe, were the top three. Would have put them just above the Steelers last year, which is pretty good company, right? And so if suddenly with Jimmy Garoppolo, he takes you from being just a middle-of-the-road competent offense and makes you a top five offense that makes everything else easier right the defense suddenly doesn't have to get to as, as high of highs um, everybody's job becomes significantly easier when you can feel the top five offense I mean you look at the supporting cast and at running back you've got Carlos Hyde and while I love Carlos Hyde he's currently on my fantasy team uh, I still think the 49ers have a much better backfield currently Yep. Marquise Goodwin, of course, was there in 2017, but top to bottom, the 49ers, I think, have a much better wide receiving core this year than they did then. And of course, we have the emergence of uh, George Kittle, who I think this year could press for an all-pro spot at tight end, most certainly a Pro Bowl. 
And, and so I think overall, and, and you've got an offensive line, which is much improved based on 2017. Yeah. So I think overall skill position, they, they certainly aren't going to be amongst the elite. They're not up there with Cleveland, but they are certainly going to have a strong uh, cast of characters, much stronger than Jimmy Garoppolo had in 2017. And, and I think that when you get to the confidence rating for how you think Garoppolo is going to do that, for me... I would say, it, like on a scale from 0 to 10, my confidence level is probably close to an 8, that he is going to be able to yeah. raise that offense up. I don't think it's anything guaranteed, like a 9 or a 10, but I do think it's certainly above a 5 or a 6. And, and I think the thing that tips the scale for me when I think about the likelihood of Garoppolo's success is that he is successful at the things that we know are stable year to year right. and the things that are required in Shanahan's offense to succeed. First off, we know that performance in a clean pocket is absolutely stable year to year, and he is incredibly good in a clean pocket. This is the theme I think that we'll probably come back to over the course of the regular season, but as a player, you're, when you can control something and you can repeat success at that thing, chances are you will able to repeat that success consistently. The difference between a really good player and like a ho-hum player in the NFL is not that that ho-hum player can't do some really awesome stuff. Because they're an elite athlete. They got to the top 1% of football for a reason. But the difference between the J.J. Watts and the Contavia Streets of the world is the fact that J.J. Watt does something consistently well over and over and over again, and he can repeat it. And, and that is something that is it within that player's control. And in a clean pocket, Jimmy Garoppolo can succeed and has proven that he can. But then on top of that, I think the intermediate of the area, uh, the intermediate area of the field is where he is the most accurate, where he excels, and he can do something that no other quarterback on the 49ers roster can do, and that is succeed outside of structure. And so when you put all that together, I think, yeah, there's probably going to be a little bit of a ramp up, a little bit of a learning curve, uh, or not a learning curve, but more so like a bit more knocking off of the rust. Yeah. But I think once you get after the bye and you get to that game against Cleveland, and then you get the Rams. And then you get the Redskins and then you get the Panthers. I mean, I think that's where I think the, the Jimmy Garoppolo that I think is going to be the Jimmy Garoppolo that we know and love is going to begin to shine. Yeah, I, I think absolutely it makes sense to to kind of keep expectations a little bit lower early in the season and, and give them a little bit of time to find their rhythm and, and things aren't going to be completely smooth sailing right away. But we've, again, seen him do all of those things that you mentioned. And, and it's it, by far... Uh, like it's not even close to being an absolute certainty, right? Like uh, he has something like 300 dropbacks um, in a 49ers uniform. Baker Mayfield has more dropbacks as a quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo does. Yeah. So, so absolutely there is uh, like what Jimmy Garoppolo ultimately is as a player is, is still yet to be seen, right? We, we don't know exactly like what his baseline is going to be and what we come to expect from him year in and year out. But the, the information we have to go on, which isn't nothing, right? 300 dropbacks is, uh, it's more than six, right? It's more than we got in that first preseason game. Um, and, and so it's still something that you shouldn't ignore completely. And especially when his performance in those games were, like you mentioned, the things that were stable, right? It would be one thing if the, re- the things that drove his success in that kind of limited sample were unsustainable things, right? You think of um, Case Keenum's season recently where he was fantastic um, with the Vikings, and so much of that was driven by his play under pressure, which which is just not stable year to year. Sometimes you're going to have good years. Sometimes you're going to have bad years. And when you have um, such an outlier good season there, 
you just can't expect that to, to continue. And so you have to fall back on, well, what are you on the majority of snaps, which as you mentioned, right, is the clean pocket stuff. That's where even, even quarterbacks that are among the most pressured in the league, we're still talking like 35% of their dropbacks or so, you know, maybe a little bit more in some crazy situations that have happened. Um, looking at you, Houston, but like, it, it, it's still, you're talking about two-thirds of their dropbacks are from clean pockets. What they do in those situations matters so much more. And like I said, it's so much more repeatable year to year. And that was the area that we really saw him excel. And, and accuracy, I think, is another thing that can't really be understated. Like, that's the thing we just see so many guys that if they struggle with that, they don't really ever find it consistently. You know, that's, I think, the concern when you look at guys like Josh Allen, right? That's He has some incredible plays and incredible throws that he puts together, but the consistency isn't there because he's not accurate, right? And he just never has been. Garoppolo has been. That's been probably his defining trait as a quarterback is accuracy. So, so much of what has made him good in that small sample are the things that are important and, and sustainable. And so I think that's what makes the confidence rating as high as it is going into the year. All right, so 0 to 10 rating on confidence that he's going to kind of help the offense and lift it up as opposed to just be a part of the offense. Um, I think 8 is a good number. I think, yeah, it, like 9 or 10 is just, you know, going a little too crazy. A little rich, um, yeah. But I, I think, yeah, absolutely feel strongly about what we've seen from him and, and the likelihood that that is going to continue. All right, so let's get to the the second big area for the season preview, and that's going to be the defensive margin for error. Because ultimately, if the offense performs well, the defense has a wider margin for error. And and ultimately, how this defense performs is going to have a very strong bearing on whether or not the team is going to make a deep playoff run, a light playoff run, or no playoff run whatsoever. <laughs> and and the, the team doesn't really need a top 10 defense to succeed. Because in order to get to the playoffs, you don't necessarily have to have a number one, two, or three defense. If you look at 2018, three of the six teams, the Rams, the Saints, and the Seahawks, uh, in the NFC were below average on defense based on EPA allowed, expected points allowed. Allowed. Um, that's, that's a tautology, and those bother me. So I'm going to call them out at every opportunity. <laughs> um, it really, if the Niners can get into like that 16 to 22 range, that's where their defense becomes Oh, wait, viable. it's expected points added aloud. Oh, that's right. There you go. Added aloud. Okay, I good. Really I feel less I wanted to that. clear that up for you. Yeah. I feel much better about that. It's no longer <laughs> a tautology. We can say EPA aloud now. It's, it's good to go. All good. Uh, but that, getting back into that 16 to 22 range, is where the 49ers really become playoff viable. If they're much worse than that, then you have to have such an explosive offense to overcome those defensive deficiencies. This is what the Chiefs were last year. Their defense was bad. It was not good. But their offense was so historically amazing (laughs) that they managed to get to the AFC playoffs uh, or the AFC championship game uh, and succeed over the course of the year. You look at 2017. Three of the six teams in the AFC this year, the Bills, Patriots, and Chiefs, were all below average in terms of EPA allowed. So the Niners don't have to have a top 10 defense in order for this to be a really good team overall and in order to make some noise in the playoffs. They just have to get to like just below league average. And and I think that they have the pieces to do that even if they don't have a completely complete defense. Right. And and I think it is, you know, it's important. We've said it a bunch, but they were really bad last year. Like they were 
really, really their, low their in basically really every element of defense. I mean, I think so. You look at um, you know our PFF grading, which is going to be more of like a process oriented uh, number to look at. Dead last in terms of overall defensive grade, there their EPA allowed, which is more results oriented um, looking metric, still twenty seventh. Um, and that, I mean, pretty much however you want to slice it, like any, any number you want to throw out, they were near the bottom of the league. And so, I mean, on, on one hand, like the thing in their favor is we know regression is a real thing, right? Teams that are that low, that are at the extremes on either side are unlikely to stay at the extreme. So even if they had done nothing, it was likely just because, you know, maybe a couple extra players stay healthy, maybe one or two players, you know, actually do take a step forward and improve their play, you know, this year compared to last year. Um, And that's all going to be kind of enough to just move the needle up for them a little bit on its own. But then, yeah, you, like you mentioned, they did invest heavily in the defense this off season, right? Last year, it was mostly, um, you know, they, they they did throw some people at, like, resources at the secondary, but it was not, like, necessarily high-end resources, Don't right? Don't besmirch took... Cassius Marsh like that. He's nah. not just a resource. Sure, sure, <laughs> whatever. Um, I couldn't even get through most of that with this straight face. Uh, God, it's hard. Uh, we're, we're really, really Jer- overcoming adversity Jeremiah here. Atauchu will hit you. Okay. Oh man, remember when he was going to be the guy? Yeah, I mean, sure. Hey, like at least Starting I had the wherewithal to cut him. Starting Leo, it's a big deal. Um, and so yeah, they they actually invested this offseason like meaningful resources on defense, right? It wasn't necessarily the exactly the spot that we wish that they would have, but they nonetheless put a lot of resources in there. You bring in somebody like D Ford via trade and give him a contract extension. You take Nick Bosa with the number two pick. You bring in Quan Alexander and give him a big deal. Like you have invested a lot, and that's obviously on top of all of the first rounders that they had on the defensive line to begin with. Um, and, and so they have put enough into that that you would expect if these guys can stay on the field, that's going to be enough to push them up a little bit, right? And and how far up that goes, I think determines. I think the defense largely determines the ceiling, right? So. If the offense, if Garoppolo is as good as we think, I think that kind of sets the floor, that they're going to be a competent team, likely a team that that gets to at least like eight and eight and, and gets to a uh, likely, I think, a winning record. If he's if they're that good, if they're a top five offense, you're probably looking at a winning record, right? The defense is going to determine whether that's just, okay, they're a fringe playoff team and, and maybe they're going to get in as a wild card but get bounced in the first round, or if they take significant improvements, um, that that's going to be the thing that pushes them up to, you know, being maybe a legitimate contender. So I think that's what, what the defense is looking at here is how much they improve from the bottom of the NFL, how far up that ladder they go is going to be what determines their ceiling for this year. Do you think that the 49ers will have a top five offense based on EPA? This with Garoppolo for 2019? If Garoppolo stays healthy, um, yes. Yeah, I do. I think I think they're they're right there. Um, if if it's not top five, it's like six. Seven. Like they're interesting. They're in there. Yeah, I, I think that just there's too much there offensively in the combination. We know head coach and quarterback is the most important part of that formula. Yeah. They're really good there. Now, in terms of defense, the, the question is: Do you think that the investments pay off? Because we haven't seen D Ford yet. 
uh, but we probably know a little bit more about him and, and we're probably a bit more bullish on what D Ford can do, especially with the addition of Nick Bosa. Uh, because D Ford, part of what made him successful in uh, in Kansas City was the fact that he was put in very favorable positions and very favorable rushing positions because of the talent of the rest of that defensive line. Well, guess what? The Niners now have something similar. So yeah. I think that's probably going to translate. But when you think of someone like Quan Alexander, you've now seen him for one playoff game. He played decently well, especially in coverage. Um, but he is Quan Alexander. So sure. do you think that that addition is going to result in a positive lift when paired next to Fred Warner? Um, or is it still kind of like, eh, whatever? I mean, I think so you, you kind of transition a little bit to, you know, off season is spent so much. We, we talk about value as like the primary thing that we really focus on. Right. And, and so with, with him, it was a matter of, was he worth that contract that they gave him? And, and obviously we came down on a pretty solid no there, right? We didn't think that his play up to this point was kind of worth the money that they gave him. But is he an upgrade on the roster? Yes. No question, right? So I think once you get to like, okay, let's focus on just the the evaluation part of it and where he fits within this defense and the current linebacking group and all of that. And I think, um, yeah, absolutely, he is better to have on the field than the guys that they've been putting next to Warner um, essentially since Reuben Foster left, right? So I think um, absolutely upgrades that spot. And he is good when he when he is playing well and he has his stronger aspects. Um, it is generally in the areas that you would prefer him to be good at, right? He, he's not necessarily um, a huge asset in the run game. He's not going to be a guy that, you know, takes on a ton of blocks and is really getting in there and, and blowing things up um, unless you get him kind of out in space on maybe some outside runs or something like that where he can use his speed. But he's not a guy that's going to be necessarily like going after contact in the box, right, and doing really strong there. Well, I'm, um, I'm so confused right now. What, what you're talking about the run game? What, yeah, are you, no, what are you doing? It's weird, man. I don't feel good about it. Yeah, I can yeah. see the discomfort on your face. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. Um, but I'm here for you guys. I'm trying to give you the full picture. You know, I'm really, I'm really taking one here personally. Um, but yeah, so I think you know, you look at him from a coverage standpoint, and again, I don't think he's been necessarily great there, but I do think he's absolutely been better than the guys on the roster. And so yeah. I think you're still, if they're on the field, they're they're still better off than they were. Um, last year from just an overall talent perspective. Yeah. So overall, I think when, when you think of what the Niners can do on offense with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think we're bullish on the 49ers offense. Our confidence in, in Jimmy Garoppolo is pretty high. Uh, and overall, we think that he can be a, uh, that he can lead the, the 49ers to being a top five offense based on the things that matter. And that's being, you know, adding points to the bottom line. And on defense, do you, I think the, the core question here is, do you think that that defense is going to get into that 16 to 22 range. I think that's the range. I, I don't think they'll get high. I don't think they'll become an above average. An above average, average defense. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll see this huge leap and, and then all of a sudden they're a great defense. Um, but I think it's enough. Yeah, I mean, I think hopefully you get enough from the secondary and they can kind of, again, stay healthy um, and you can keep, you know, sure, you get Sherman feeling a little bit better. You're not rotating a million different safeties in there every week. Um, and can be a little bit more consistent there on the back end. I don't think they'll be good. I, I like. I still think the secondary yeah. um, is largely an issue, and they're still going to have some problems throughout the year. But the overall group, I think, should push them up into that kind of like low twenties um, type area. I think makes sense. When I think of a team that that might mirror or echo some of the things that the, I think the Niners will be next year, I think of the. Cleveland Browns and their hot streak this year where they beat up on teams that were just worse than them. Yep. 
But when they went up against playoff teams or teams that were legitimately good, they had trouble and, and they lost a lot of those games. They won a couple, but they lost a lot of those games. And I think that's where the Niners will end up is they, will, they now have a good enough roster and good enough coaching. And yes, even a good enough defense to beat up on a couple of the, of the teams that they should really beat up on. I don't think this is going to be a year where they lose to Arizona twice. Yeah, I, I think the schedule, too, doesn't look terribly bad. So I think when no. you look at the projections that um, our analytics team at PFF put together, so based on the, the, the PFF ELO rankings that they have, um, project them to have the 17th most difficult schedule. So right middle of the pack um, type schedule, which uh, is, is really about as good as you can ask for usually, right? I mean, I think they've been playing some pretty difficult schedules overall in, in recent years. So getting something that ends up being more middle of the pack would certainly be nice and give them an opportunity. Like you said, maybe they beat up on some teams that are uh, clearly inferior and, and then they can hopefully squeeze out a few more of those 50-50 games. Exactly. And, and so I think that's going to be a bit of their trajectory. And and how, how high they go, I think, depends on really you know the defense because I think the offense is, is yep. kind of spoken for. Um, but before we get to our roster projections, or ras- rather roster predictions, uh, let's talk about some superlatives real quick. Really quick, let's go down the list. We'll give you first offensive MVP, uh, excluding quarterback, because this is basically the quarterback award. Man, um, excluding quarterback, I'm going and to... I'm actually going to write these down this year, because I look at these every year, and I always go like, wow, man, who did we pick again? And, and it's never in the agenda, so I'm actually... I know. Of all the bad ones I'm sure I had last year, the one I do remember was uh, was calling George Kittle's breakout. Correct. Um, I, did, I did have that one. So that's the only one I'm going to bring up from last year, because that one was right. Um, offensive MVP that's not a quarterback. I'm going to go receiver. I'm going to say that... Um, so I think... I mean, I think Kittle's still probably the most valuable piece of the passing game from a receiver standpoint, but I think Pettis puts it together. I, I think he does enough there and, and, and figures it out and gets to a good spot to where he's um, a really key part of this passing game. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one to get after. Um, you know, it's hard for me to not go Matt Breida here, uh, mostly because I got to stay on brand. You know, I got, <laughs> I got, I got people that I got you know, to sate the masses. You know, yeah. this is I'm, I have a thing now and, and it's mostly train emojis. Is really I mean, I think I'm contractually obligated to not mention a running back there. I think I might be fired Correct. if I uh, included a running back. This MVP. is accurate. Yeah. But I actually uh, if I'm thinking offensive MVP, um, Kittle is definitely up there. Um, but I honestly like I keep thinking Debo at some point. Um, I really like Debo, man. Um, and, and I think yeah. it's not going to be an early season thing. I think it's going to be like as the season progresses. Um, I think he is going to provide some really good, um, strong underneath uh, routes. And I also think he's going to be a very interesting player that the Niners will mix in on some sweeps, fly sweeps, bubbles, and screens. Because uh, that's what he's good at. He's good at yards after the catch. And so, you know, th- I think that's going to be an interesting MVP uh, on offense if that ends up happening. But defensive MVP. Uh, go. What do you think? This one's tougher. Um, I feel like I don't necessarily like I feel like the obvious choice is on the defensive line and picking kind of one of those guys um but I don't know I almost feel like it's going to be a situation where n- not one guy really stands out all that much from the rest and it's kind of more of just a a group effort there so I feel like it would have to be somebody else but I don't really like anybody else once you get to the back so I'll 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 probably go I'm going to go Bosa 
I think I think Bosa is probably the guy. I think um, you know he'll just be in a position to you know Buckner is is the the other guy that I think that's easy to point to. I, I think he was probably the pick that we had last year, um, and I expect him to be very very good this year. But I think Bosa, if if he can get back on the field and be healthy, is going to be in a position to. Um, have the biggest impact. I just think he can do more there for the team being out on the edge um, than, than somebody inside. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I would say Bosa as well. Yeah. Uh, now we get to leading receiver, which given the offensive MVP might be a quick discussion. Uh, so yeah. are we sticking? So are, are we going to say just most receiving yards by any position or actually from a wide receiver? Oh, that's a, actually a good question. Let's go ahead and say the most receiving yards on the team. Um, I think I'm still going to go Kittle there. Yep. Yep. It's hard because I think that Kittle's going to be prime for regression. Like, I think people expecting him to have he another 1,300-yard yeah. season, I think, are going to be disappointed. And I think if he, get, I think he's going to be somewhere in the 900 to 1,000, like 900 to 1,100 area. Yeah, I and, think he, yeah, getting back to right around 1,000 seems like a good spot. And yeah. I just don't know if, I, I think there's so many guys at receiver. I don't know that one necessarily, I mean, obviously, I think Pettis, can carve out that role and i i'm hopeful that he will yeah um but it'll be close yeah i think yeah do you, not gonna have a do you that, think that any one receiver breaks a thousand that's what i was just trying to think of at, like i don't know man um i think it'll be close i i think uh i think they probably get one guy that's right up there but i wouldn't be surprised if all their receivers were were under a thousand kittles the one guy um to get there because i do expect his volume to stay like maybe not quite as high, but I don't think the the volume is going to necessarily go down considerably from what it was last year. So I think he'll have the opportunity to do it. Um, and I just, yeah, I, I think they're going to spread it around. I'm lot. just here to watch the world burn. So I'm saying Goodwin. I mean, Goodwin and Garoppolo. Wow. Goodwin and Garoppolo had a good chemistry at the end of 2017. He was the only receiver that didn't play in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. Uh, I think Shanahan is trying to light a fire under everyone uh, on that wide receiving core. I think that Goodwin, if he can stay healthy um, and you add the deep threat that he that he obviously adds to the offense, uh, he could yep. be someone who is uh, you know going to flirt with that thousand yard line again. Yeah, I mean, um, look, Jimmy complete. What I think both were the Breida throw and the Richie James throw, both twenty plus throws. Yep. Man, that's like two more than he completed almost the entire first five games. <laughs> All right, rookie of the year. Go. Oh, I mean, Bosa. Yeah. Oh, it, I was convinced you were going to say Jalen Hurd. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's Bosa or Debo, right? I, but I just think, yeah, I think Bosa um, is, is got, yeah, he's, just, I, I think he's really good, man. He's, he's amazing. He's going to be, again, the only thing that can derail that is, is of course, the injury. If he's out there, he's going to have a good good season. Over, under, the number of sacks that D Ford and Bosa combined for, the line is set at 20. Over or under? Ooh, going under. Under? Yep. Combined sacks. Combined sacks, yeah. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's close. Um, but I don't know, man. I just don't think I, I feel like when you see if I'm an offense that's game planning for this defense, right? Especially if they come out and this defensive line's playing well early on, um, there there are ways to like limit sacks, right? You you can go and game plan. Now maybe those game plan things are still good for you overall defensively, right? If they have to adjust things so much to get the ball out quicker and and you know, emphasize shorter throws more often and all that kind of stuff. Um you know, that, that might end up being like a net positive for your defense overall, but it, it, it limits the sacks. Right. So I think, um, there are going to be teams that are able to get rid of the ball, 
do enough to scheme up, prevent the sacks and get the ball out and take advantage of a weaker secondary to where the sack numbers don't quite pile up. Everything you're saying makes sense. And then I think to myself that DeForest Buckner and Cassius Marsh combined for 17 sacks last year. Uh, and I think, you know what? They're good for three more. I yeah. Mean, somebody had to get them last year. Let's do it. You know? I'm in for the over. Right. Over under number of games that Jason Verrett plays. The line is set at eight. Nah, shit. Under. Easy. Under? Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with under. Too easy. Yeah. Uh, Should have said it at like four, yeah. and then I would be more conflicted. Um, well, under, under two, because I, I did not specify a reason as to why. They could be healthy scratches. They could be he gets some snaps. Oh, no. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. yeah I, I, if he's healthy, I feel like he's going he's to find a way to get out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, better rule for the drinking game. Apparently, we still have trauma from all the rough years because 55 offsides, chug your beer. Option number one. Number two, pound a beer when Jimmy Ward survives a game. I mean, that one's good. That, <laughs> it's good because you thought of it. I know. I thought <laughs> of the next one, too, though. That one's good. And then number three, uh, pound your beer and or drink when Debo gets a first down uh, on a slant. Ooh, that one's got to be a drink. It's got to be a drink. Beer. Pound yeah. your beer when Jimmy Ward you know, stays healthy. Yeah. Uh, Cause you know, you know, you never want to like drink when, it, when the cart comes out or, you know, you don't want to like celebrate in any way when, it, when a guy gets hurt, but if he stays healthy for the game, like, I feel like you can celebrate that and pound beer. I can um, get behind that. You know, for me, I love double entendres. I love wordplay and having number 55 that is offsides a la Ahmad Brooks, even though it's D Ford uh, to me is poetic. And so I, I would vote for that one. Um, but obviously you've got the, the Jimmy Ward health one. Jimmy Ward. I yeah. do like the Debo one. The Debo one is oh. going to be part of the game. All, sure. the, the plot twist here is that all three of these yes. will be rules on, <laughs> on the drinking game this year. Yeah. Uh, because you know what? I get to make the rules. Uh, oftentimes we this, say, hey, you don't, I don't get make, to the, make rules. the rules. But for this game, I get to make the rules. And so yep. them, them's the rules. Uh, all right. So those are going to be the superlatives and or the, the quick hits for the season. But let's get to the record predictions. Uh, I, what do you think they're going to finish with record win loss? And then where do you think they finish in the division? And then lastly, where do you think they finish on the season? So I'll throw out some projections that we have. Um, kind of, uh, you know, pimp the the analytics team that we've got a PFF there and, and kind of what those are showing at the moment. So they've got us projected to win just under eight games. So finish third in the division. So basically an eight and eight team um, with Seattle. They've got at nine wins and the Rams at uh, just over 10. So we'll call them 11 wins. Um, they give us a 16% chance, 16 chance to win the division and then a 33% chance to make the playoffs. Are you David Newman, a PFF parrot or are you blazing your own trail? Um, so I think they, I would pick the over on our projection. So they, the, the line that they've got is eight wins. Um, I, I do think they get over. I think they get a winning record. Um, I think, man, but overcoming, how, winning? How, yeah, winning? how winning. So I think record, I am going to go with nine and seven. I, I think the offense is good enough, um, again, to set that floor and for them to be, uh, competitive in most every game and like have a chance there. But I just think there's still too much there defensively that, that they're just going to lose some shootouts. Did you um, listen to my radio spot on 95.7 The Game uh, on Sunday? I would, I'm going to be hurt if you didn't. I didn't even know you were on. You didn't even tell me this. You did, you, I'll go listen I, to it. I expect that you are on my Twitter all the time. I expect you have a column for my tweets alone. I mean, you are mistaken but- <laughs> how much I'm on Twitter. 
<laughs> but yes, uh, nine and seven was what I, that was my official debut of the prediction. Uh, and I predicted nine and seven as well. I agree. I think that they have yeah. a winning record, but not quite to 10 wins. I think they finished second in the division. So behind the Rams, I'm going to, so I'm assuming yeah. they jump, jump Seattle there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Seattle is definitely the team that makes most sense for them to overtake. Um, you know, the, the thing that, is in Seattle's favor, despite everything that they continue to lose and how awful their wide receiver group looks like right now. Russell Hustle Russell. They've got the best quarterback in the division, um, and they've probably got the best defensive player in the it's, division. It's Bobby cool. Wagner. It's cool. I think Kendrick Bourne is going to drop a couple passes uh, in Seattle uh, when he becomes their starting wide receiver, um, and I think it'll be great. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. Uh, it's going to be cl- I think them and Seattle are, are right in the same ball. Like, I don't think Seattle's going to be great or anything like that. But I think right. they're, they, they have a very similar record. I'm pinning you. Are they uh, second or third Niners in the division? You know what? Feeling good. Feeling good. Let's go second, and uh, and let's go that they sneak in as a wild card team. Blame it on ah. the hazy. Uh, is nine going to get... Now, whatever. Second in the division. Second in the division. Fine. Okay. So, so season finish, do they make the playoffs or not? Because nine and seven is right that on that cusp. That's the question I was just trying to avoid. Yeah. Well, I'm asking um, you that question. It's in the agenda, David. You have it ahead of time. Is that true? It is a take-home test. Playoff prediction is not in the goddamn It says agenda. season finish, for fuck's sake. I'm just saying. That's record to me. <laughs> uh, well, then you should do, do ten and seven. Yeah, or so, ten or nine and eight. Man, um, is nine wins enough in the NFC? Probably not. Right? I think nine wins probably is not good enough for a playoff spot. So I, I, I think you probably got to get to ten wins. Um, I think they're close. I think they're in it late. Like I think this isn't something that's decided early on. They're playing for a playoff spot in the last couple weeks, but um, I'm going to go with they fall short. I think that while it may contradict the record, they end up winning at Seattle in order to make the playoffs. I think so if they do. So as far as like differing from what what differs from my predictions that would need to happen for them to make the playoffs, I think one of two things. Jimmy is either even better that I'm thinking like, like is, is opposed to just being kind of like a tier one guy and getting up there, maybe he finishes, you know, six, seventh in quarterback grade, something like that. Like he is a legitimate, like he is a top five, maybe top three quarterback for this season. Um, so he's either much better than expected or we just get, everything that we've been hoping for from the secondary, every, everybody that wants to positively think about, every young player in the secondary taking a step forward. I think we would have to get a couple of that. Like, I think, you know, let's say Tavarius Moore and Akella Witherspoon actually deliver on that promise and pair with Richard Sherman to have a, a secondary that is just a massive improvement from last year. That I think one of those two things would need to happen for them to get that 10th win and, and get into the playoffs. I just like to be optimistic. It doesn't hurt me to be optimistic. So I'm going to be optimistic. I like being optimistic yeah. too. Yeah. Nine and seven. You heard it here first. Optimism, folks. 
because uh, that about does it for this week's episode of the Better Rivals podcast. <laughs> what more do you want from us? Well, I don't know. I don't know what more people could want. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in. You can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you now that you will not be regularly on the show, but you will come back for guest spots whenever you can? Accurate. Uh, you can follow me at PFF underscore David. Tune in again next week when I will be on with Kyle Posey. We will break down the final preseason game and get you ready for the opening game of the NFL season against the fighting Jameis Winstons. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>